Hey, well, good morning, everyone. Morning. Welcome to Door Creek Church. If you're a guest here, just want to welcome you. Glad that you've uh, chosen to be with us this morning. Adam mentioned it during our time of worship uh, this morning, but we had baptisms last night and we had a record number of the most people that have ever been baptized at one time uh, here at Door Creek Church, 30, 38, 39 people we had a spontaneous baptism. A little boy came up and he says, I believe in Jesus. And we're like, well, let's, let's get you wet, okay? <laughs> that's, that's what we're about. So we just celebrate that life change together uh, one more time. We'll be throwing together a highlight video at some point, and, and so hopefully you can take it. We also Facebook lived it, so you can actually hop on our Facebook page and uh, check that out, check that as well. Uh, but here we are today. Uh, my name is Mark, in case I forgot to introduce myself, uh, one of the pastors here on staff and uh, part of the teaching team. Excited to be with you this morning. Anyone else feel like Christmas, the season, came a little bit early this year? Right, and my entire life, I remember talking to my wife Cassie, and I'm like, it's Halloween. I never remember sledding on Halloween, and my kids were sledding at the end of October. What is going on? Thankfully, there's a little break in the weather, giving some of us the time to do some yard cleanup, some catch-up. Uh, but uh, for us, like, we've always been like these stricklers, like, you know, like, a day after Thanksgiving, like, wait till the day after Thanksgiving, and then it's like, tree, Christmas music, game on, uh, but you know, as soon as snow came in October, we're like, nope. <laughs> like, Alexa, play Christmas music, here we go. <laughs> let's, let's do this, Christmas tree's up already, we got the train going around the Christmas tree, we're all in, and maybe some of you, uh, like us, one of the things you look forward to in this Christmas season is your favorite Christmas movies right? The famous Christmas movies that we love. Uh, we could probably just spend all morning talking about the things that we love to read, the things that we love to watch, specifically around this season. Uh, one of our favorites, uh, kind of classic in our house, is, is this. Anyone resonate with uh, Elf, right? So movies, movies like this, uh, maybe, you know, like, oh no, it's all about, you know, White Christmas and, you know, the Christmas Carol with Scrooge. Uh, perhaps uh, one of your favorites as well uh, is this guy, if you got kids, especially just the Grinch, right? And uh, someone say, aw, <laughs> I guess there's a puppy in there. Um, <laughs> and one of the things that we love about these movies, no matter how cheesy they are, is like there's dynamic characters, dynamic characters that have this character arc to them through the movie or through the literature, whatever we're reading, we're waiting for the 180 in their life, right? And uh, no matter how cheesy the movie is, and let's be honest, if there's ever a season where cheesy movies comes out, it's this season. We're two minutes in, we're like, okay, I got this figured out. You're the cute, funny one. You're the stickler. You're going to turn into a joyful, happy person. You're going to fall in love. The end of the story, two minutes in, and yet we stay for the whole hour and a half uh, just to make sure we were right. We love, we love these 180s in people's lives. It was the Grinch, you know, or in the movie Elf, Will Ferrell's, you know, dad. He kind of comes around at the end, you know, Scrooge, right? Becomes this happy, generous person. We love these 180s in people's lives that we see, these dynamic, these dynamic characters in these stories. And we love them because at some kind of deep fundamental level, like we resonate with uh, what that represents. And that concept isn't a new thing. In fact, when we look at the Bible, especially in the Gospels, in Jesus' ministry, he's constantly tapping people on the shoulder and saying, hey, I need you to do a 180 in your life. 
specifically, uh, you know, with his disciples. Uh, he sees Matthew, a tax collector, and Matthew's kind of walking in one direction, moving direct, one direction in his life, uh, collecting taxes, and Jesus taps him on the shoulder, and he says, I need you to do a 180, I need you to come with me. He sees some fishermen fishing, and he says, hey, I know that you enjoy fishing in a boat, but I, I need you to do a 180 in your life, I need you to become fishers of men. And Jesus does, he's a very disruptive character in the scriptures. He's constantly telling us uh, that we need to, to turn around and to follow him. And one of, the, one of the things that Jesus talks the most about in the Gospels, he spends almost more time on this than he does almost anything else, is how to do a 180 in our life with our money and our possessions. And when we've been in this series called What Matters Money, uh, money matters because money matters to Jesus and our possessions matter to Jesus. And so we're like, this is why we have a whole uh, month-long uh, series just dedicated to what is the Bible telling us about money. And Jesus is constantly talking about money, talking about possessions. And so it should be of no surprise to us that in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, we read that someone comes out of the crowd and he says this, he says, teacher... So he's ascribing some kind of authority to Jesus because he knows Jesus talks about these things. He says, teacher, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. There is something going on in this man's life, some kind of conflict. Clearly there was a loss in his family. Clearly his brother was not sharing the inheritance, whether he should or not, we don't know. But he comes to Jesus, he says, Jesus... Teacher, I know that you constantly talk about money. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And in the scriptures, Jesus, you know, he's, we just talked about it, how he's divisive, right? He's just like, look, you follow me or you don't follow me. There is nothing in the middle. I am the judge. I've come here uh, on earth to save you. And so when we read Jesus's response, we're like, that does not make sense at all. Because Jesus literally just goes, dude, why are you talking to me about this? Luke 12, 14, he says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? And you read these two verses and you're like, what is going on? <laughs> this doesn't line up. At least on the surface, it doesn't line up, but it causes us to kind of question. It causes us to dig a little bit deeper. So in verse 13, we have this request. It's a bit of a demand, I think. It's a bit gracious to call this a request. Teacher, tell my brother, right? There's not really an ask in there. It's more of a demand, but there's this request. There's this refusal by Jesus. He just says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? And then in verse 15, he gives us a warning and he just says, watch out. Watch out, he says, be on guard for all kinds of greed. Life does not exist in abundance of, of possessions. And just in these three verses, it sets up uh, what we're going to be uh, reading here, this parable, this parable that Jesus is going to tell based on this uh, situation. And this warning that he has right here in verse 15, go ahead and bring it back up, it says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard. Sometimes when we read the scriptures, we can just read them and forget to, to really put ourselves emotionally in the text. You know, and there's, there's, there's grammar like exclamation points and things to help us along the way. But be on guard, what does that mean? 
Well, last year, uh, does anyone remember like the freak blizzard that happened at the end of November last year? It kind of came through the Midwest, a little bit in Wisconsin, mostly through like Iowa, Missouri. And uh, we were coming up, we had uh, just visited uh, some friends in Oklahoma for Thanksgiving, uh, spending time with them. We hadn't seen them in a long time. We were driving home end of November, and we were hitting right about through Kansas City, coming home, and we were just in the heart of this blizzard. And uh, I grew up in Michigan, like we have lake effect snow, like Midwest, those of you who grew up, you know, here in Wisconsin, like we could all probably tell some crazy tales of some crazy weather that we've driven through. And uh, I've driven through some pretty crazy weather, but this was, you know, icing on the cake, no pun intended. Like this was the craziest, most dangerous weather that I had ever driven through. And my family was in the car. My family's safety was hanging in the balance. And it was just driving five miles an hour on the interstate, just watching semi go into the ditch, SUV go into the ditch. Like it was crazy. And it's that kind of level of intensity. I was on guard. I was so focused. Like my kids learned how focused I was. And that was the quietest our van has ever been. <laughs> they learned very quickly, no one talk, no one talk. This is what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, be on guard because greed in our lives is like this silent virus. What are these words right here? This is against out loud, what does it say? All kinds. Greed is a silent virus that we don't really realize that we have that is unlimited in its species of virus, if that's the right way to say it. There is no bounds, there is no boundary in which greed cannot enter our hearts or our lives, whether it's with our possessions or our relationships, just even in our own, in our own selves. Uh, a small example here, we're not actually, we're not actually going to do this because it'd be really embarrassing, but if I were to ask you right now on your phone or on a piece of paper just to list the three most greedy people you know. I guarantee you could do it in under a minute. Just boom, oh, that's easy. Boom, boom, boom. I'm also willing to bet your name isn't on that list. But I bet your name is on some other lists. How many other lists would your name be on? We don't realize greed is the silent virus because we don't realize how much it actually permeates our lives. It's one of the reasons why some of the early church fathers in the, in the Catholic church actually named it one of the seven deadly sins. Greed is this killer in our hearts and in our lives. And Jesus says, be on guard, watch out for all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he says, okay, let me tell you a story. Because it's one of the things that Jesus does best, isn't it? He tells us these stories, these parables. So he tells us this story. Let's read this story together. You can follow along in your Bible, whether you have it digitally or physically. We also have it up on the screen for us, starting in verse 16. Luke chapter 12 is where we're hanging out today. Starting in verse 16, he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, and uh, so if you read the English Standard Version, he says, I will tell my soul, soul, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat drink and be merry. We're just going to press pause right here. We read this and we're like, oh yeah. What did he do wrong? 
Like if we were to isolate just this story, if we were to isolate this story, like Jesus set it up so we know he's gonna be teaching us something, right? But if we were to isolate this story, this guy, man, he's getting published. He's gonna hit the circuit. He's making the headlines. He's gonna be in news articles. His phone's ringing for interviews. He's probably gonna write a couple books. He'll come up with a couple lists or pithy statements that we'll print out or have on our phone or the wallpaper of our computer. Like this guy made it. He had an abundant harvest. Like, who wouldn't want to have an abundant harvest? And when we actually look at the the scripture and what it's actually saying, abundant harvest, we're not talking about, yeah, he did 10% better this year. No, like he, he broke records that broke records that records are broken about, whatever that meant. Like he had so much that the barn that he had built to store all that he normally gets and probably with some margin to store more couldn't even hold it all. So what did he do? Like this is just logical, right? Like I'll, I'll tear this one down and I'll build a bigger one. And I'll say to myself like eat, drink, and be merry. This guy's the poster boy for the, the American dream. He retired early. He's got life made. Like what, what we have to ask our question when we read this, like what, what's wrong with this picture here? I mean, how many of us can say, yeah, I've bought a bigger house or I've gotten a better car or maybe in our work, yeah, I've, we've built bigger facilities or perhaps many of us like we resonate like, yeah, I wanna retire early. Maybe some of you have retired early, right? It's this, it's this whole image that all of us, have, if you haven't been here, you wanna be here where you're on vacation, you wanna get that picture where you're like, you're, you're laying down and your feet and the water's in front of you, you got your margarita, I mean your iced tea. Uh, and you're, you know, Instagramming it, right? Like with the caption, like the easy life. Eat, drink, and be married. Like we want to be this guy. We have resources. We, I mean, Door Creek Church have resources on our website that we've launched in, in conjunction with the series because we care about just your, the practicality of your own financial health. Just free resources online about having a healthy budget, how to get out of debt, what savings and investing could look like, and how, you know, you could maybe have more money than you thought you could have just with the right savings mechanism in place. We have to ask our question, what is wrong? What is wrong with this picture. And there's an author uh, who wrote a book about the parables of Jesus. His name is Klein Snodgrass, and it's called Stories with Intent, is his book. And he says this, he says, parables like this strike a tender nerve, especially when we admit to ourselves, as we must, that we want to be like the rich fool. We want to say to ourselves, I have many good things or a lot of money laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and celebrate. The message of this parable is antithetical to our thinking as any Jesus told. I know of no more difficult topic to apply personally or to the lives of modern Western Christians. When we read this text, we know that Jesus is setting us up to learn something and it's easy for us to go, oh yeah, dude, oof, big mistake. And then we have to just, just look at this objective. Wait, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this picture? Because in the next verse, in verse 20, God comes into the parable. This is like one of the only parables in the Bible where God plays an active character in the story. And God says to him, You fool. That's why this parable is called the rich fool. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
what is wrong with this picture? And so, you know, the point of this parable is not necessarily what's most difficult. The point of this parable is, is understanding how we identify with this, with this rich fool. And it's only like five verses long. We're talking verses 16 to verse uh, 20. And of those five verses, uh, there's only three verses in which the rich man is, is speaking. And there's a really dirty four-letter word that creeps in that helps us understand his mistake. There's this really nasty four-letter word that creeps into this text that helps us understand, answer this question, what is wrong with this picture? And unfortunately, there's no other way to illustrate this nasty four-letter word than by showing you, showing you this. Mine. Finding Nemo, anyone a fan? Okay, here we go. The seagulls, mine, 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 mine. You have toddlers at home. You remember having toddlers at home? Maybe you work with some toddlers. Like, this is my house, like, every day. Okay, like, no, I had it first. No, I had it first. You know, as toddlers, you know, we, we say, mine, 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 mine. And as we grow up, we learn to stop saying that and to start sharing. But we learn to stop saying it, but we never really learn how to ever eradicate it from our hearts. Let's dive back into just these three verses in this parable. There's three verses in this parable starting in verse uh, 17 here. And let's just reread this, focusing on the pronouns that this rich man is using. Here we go. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store what? My crops. And he goes on to say, uh, then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store up my surplus grain. And lastly, he just says, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. We see the rich man's fool folly was the fact that he just said, it's mine. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, and mine is, is greed, right? This is what Jesus was talking about, all forms of greed. And he sets up this parable and he says, life does not exist in an abundance of possessions. And he tells us a story of a man who has an abundance of possessions and he calls them mine and his trust and his hope and his security is in his stuff. And it's so hard to identify this really to understand how we identify this because as a culture, this is, this is what we're taught from day one. And not necessarily in a bad way, but it just kind of ends up in our hearts in a way where we have this, this mind mentality. What are we told? That it's your money. Don't let anyone tell you what to do with what? Your money. This is your life. Don't let anyone mess with your life. This is yours. This is yours. And obviously we have to use like personal pronouns for legal reasons and you know other things. Like how would we talk if we didn't have personal pronouns? But, but it just seeps into our hearts. And our identity and our security and our trust and our hope just, just gets entangled with it and, and it's never enough. And it's, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Culture tells us it's ours. But here's a shocker, Jesus did not come so that we could get more stuff. 
When, when the man, someone out of the crowd, verse 13, approaches Jesus and says, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. When Jesus refuses him, he refuses him because he's basically saying, I did not come so you can get more stuff. I came so that you could get me. Jesus didn't come so we'd get more stuff. Jesus came so that we could get him. And Jesus is generous. And in his generosity, when we get him, we learn how to be generous. The antithesis of greed is generosity. Generosity is the antithesis of greed. This is the rich man's folly. This is the rich man's mistake. That he lived a life that was just greedy and it was all about him, what he could get, and that was it. There was nothing, there was nothing more, there was, there was nothing else. And Jesus wants us to live a life of generosity. One of our values here at Door Creek Church is contagious generosity. Because we believe that Jesus is very contagious in his generosity. And that if we learn to be generous like Jesus, we can be contagious like him. And that true joy in life can be found in living generously. I mean, it's, it's right in front of us, even in the most secular uh, of culture. Look at the, the Christmas movies that we talked about at the beginning of our time together. Like, why are we so, we're so happy when people like turn from like this greed to, to joy. And in almost all the Christmas stories, what do they find? They, they find like loving other people, giving away, sharing what they have. Right, these kinds of things, spending time with their family, spending time with their loved ones. And we celebrate with these movies. <laughs> and it's like, you guys, that's the gospel. That's what Jesus is all about. He wants us to do this 180 in our life and understand that in our natural, just kind of uh, sinful state, we just wanna walk and go, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And Jesus taps us on the shoulder and he says, no, 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 it's not. You need to do a 180 in your life and you need to say that it's, that it's his. And you say, well, Mark, that's actually really hard because right now I'm in this like really crazy season of life. I have this debt to pay, you know, or uh, we're just really busy with some school stuff. And when that's done, I would love to explore what it means to live a life of generosity. If I could just, you know, maybe even have what, what, what my neighbor has, like I totally get why they can be generous. Like, that makes sense. Look how much they got. If I could have that much, then I would love to explore a life of generosity. Can I suggest something to us today that these little lies, if and when, are just that, when used in this way? There are lies that we believe that put our hope and our trust and our security in something that will fail us and that when we say them, it actually just means it'll never happen. It'll never happen. You know, if, if I can get this debt paid off, then, then I can learn to be generous when I get through school. Then I can learn to be generous. Man, this is just, you have no idea how crazy this, this, you know, this, this time of my life is. When it's over, then I can learn uh, to be generous. You know, you don't have no idea how crazy busy I am with my kids' sports. Uh, you know, when, when that's done, well, then I can learn uh, to be generous. I'd be happy to. If and when, there's just lies that we believe that put our hope, our trust, our security in something that has no real future. Especially when we play the comparison game. Every time you compare yourself to someone else, there's someone comparing themselves to you. Right? 
Man, if, of course they can be generous. Look, look what they have. And there's someone else looking at your life going, well, of course they could be generous. Look what they have. <laughs> we need to catch up with the fact that we lie to ourselves that's hindering us from this life of generosity. It's what Jesus wants us to do because Jesus finishes this parable by saying this in verse 21 of Luke 12. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. And that little three-letter word is a very important three-letter word. We must catch up to the fact that there is nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with like having an amazing year, having done a lot of discipline in your life so that you are set for the future. There is nothing wrong with doing well in your business. There's nothing wrong in making the wise financial investments. There's nothing wrong in having a great budget. There's nothing wrong in getting out of debt. There's nothing wrong in having a great savings mechanism. There's nothing wrong with these things. This is not the rich man's folly here. It, it, what, it, what was wrong with him was not the fact that he had this abundant ear, this surplus. What was wrong is that he said, it is mine. And Jesus says, no, no, I want you to have all that you can. I want you to work hard. <laughs> I want uh, you to do your best. But I want you to be, to be rich towards God. Well, how can we be rich towards God? Part of being rich towards God is understanding that God was first rich towards us. And uh, we have to remember that we live a life of abundance. And you say, Mark, I don't live a life of abundance. I live paycheck to paycheck. You have a paycheck. You live a life of abundance. You say, Mark, I, I don't know if I can even like uh, pay my heating bill this month. You have a heating bill to pay, which probably means you have a house or apartment or a condo. You live a life of abundance. You say, Mark, my, my car has a hole in the floor and the muffler's making some pretty weird noises. You have a car. We live a life of abundance. And most of us in this room probably don't even, even resonate with that because we've just leased or purchased or whatever. Uh, we live a life of abundance. We do, we have to like this reality check. We're so caught in just, we don't have what we want. We forget that we have all that we need. And uh, you want the biggest reality check you can get in living a life of abundance, go to visit, visit the developing world. Go on a, a missions trip. I guarantee you that within 24 hours, your eyes will be open to how much you are blessed with. And in, in seeing that we must be rich towards God, we must understand, especially here in Madison, Wisconsin, that God has been rich towards us. And spiritually, you betcha. That God has sent his son and that he gives us his grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness and his gentleness and his forgiveness and on and on and on spiritually. Yes, definitely. But in our stuff, you bet you too. You bet you too, we live lives of abundance. Let's just read these two scriptures together. First uh, Timothy 6, verse 17 through 19 says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, right? This was the rich man's folly right here. He set his hopes on the uncertainty of his own stuff, but on God. Read this with me, ready? Who what? Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Just pause right there. Say it again. Ready? Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Let's keep reading. It says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future 
so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Go back one slide, if you will, me back to verse uh, 18 here. It says, to be generous and ready to share. This is being rich toward God. This is storing up treasure, not in bigger barns, but this is storing up treasure for yourselves as a foundation for the future in the future of our lives and the futures of other lives. (laughs) We have eternity at stake here. How many people could we help encounter God's grace if we could learn to live a life of generosity. And this is still hard for us. This is still hard for us because of just the mentality that we have in this Western culture of worrying about what's coming next. And especially, I know some of you, you have your own business like a whole different level. You don't have the steady paycheck coming in. It's a whole different level for you because it's just like, what are the projects on the books? You know, you have a great three months. What are the next three months going to be like? But for all of us, we can just keep reading in Luke chapter 12. I don't have this on the screen, but if you want to open up on your phone or on your physical Bible, if you have it, Luke chapter 12, I'm going to start reading in verse 22. God just continues, Jesus continues to teach us about how he will provide for us, how if we are rich towards him, It truly is a blessed life. He says this, he says, um, I got you on the page. He says this, he says, when Jesus said to his disciples, he said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, the ravens. So who are the ravens? Uh, A pastor once said, ravens are just rats with wings. (laughs) If you love ravens, I'm sorry. But <laughs> Jesus could have said, consider the majestic eagle. No, what he, consider the rat with wings. And scavenger, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. Notice this theme of eating. and uh, no, They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? You, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life since you cannot do this very little thing? Why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor. Solomon, one of the great kings of ancient Israel, uh, was uh, dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith, do not set your heart on what you will. Here it is again, eat or drink. Don't worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. This was written, you know, over 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is saying, look, culture, doesn't matter what time in culture, is always going to be chasing the possessions, is always going to be chasing what's, what's mine. He says, the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. God knows what we need, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. And I love this, where verse 32, if you're just tracking along, verse 32 says, do not be afraid, little flock. And I love this phrase, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that never fails where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And he says this verse that many of us have heard, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
And I love that line, for the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. One of the things about understanding about being rich towards God is understanding that God has been rich towards us. God has given us more than we actually give him credit for. And when we catch up to that fact, it can change our mentality on just a life of generosity and the joy that can come from that. So we got five little kids at home. And uh, one of the things that they love doing is arts and crafts, right? And I'm sure your kids or grandkids love doing arts and crafts. Mine do it better. <laughs> Just kidding. Not really. And uh, so, you know, what do we want to do? Like, uh, you know, there's a table downstairs that they've been using, an old table. And Cass and I were like, oh, man, let's build them like an art station. You know, so we did what every good parent would do. We headed to Pinterest. <laughs> And we just scoured and we found like the best and we kind of compiled it and we said, uh, you know, we said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And so, you know, we made this thing, we mounted it at the wall and, you know, we're stocking it and we painted it and we lacquered it and, and we stained it and all this crazy stuff. And we got done and the kids loved it. We stocked it with paper and pens and glues and pencils and all sorts of crazy stuff. But what do the kids do? They just, they use it, Right. Some of you are teachers, right? The kids just, they just dive in. They start cutting and gluing and glittering and, you know, no Sharpies. We learned that lesson. Washable markers, you know, all these things. They just go to town and they're making stuff for their friends. They're making stuff for our neighbors. They're making stuff for us, you know, taping stuff all over the walls, you know. It's just some of you know what I'm talking about. They just use it and it's joyful and they love it. And it's great seeing the joy on our children's faces. And when we see joy on kids' faces, whether or not you like kids or not, it fills you with joy, or at least it should, and uh, we just love it. And so if we just think about that, well, maybe we should start taking a cue from our children and start acting like God's children. God did not build us an art table. God gave us everything in which all of art for the rest of the existence is trying to recreate. He gave us the world, he gave us relationships, he gave us life, he gave us the ability to, to do things with our minds and with our hands and with our feet and whatever you do as a craft or a hobby or for, or for work, whatever it is, God has richly blessed us. We live an abundant life, but too often we forget to just act like God's children. He says, no, I want you to live a life of generosity. I've blessed you with this abundance. Sometimes maybe we should just take a cue from our children and start acting like God's children with our stuff. You say, well, you know, my kids, you know, they know there's times when the paper runs out and they have to use different cardstock or, you know, different crayons get broken, so they have to use different markers. We're always making sure there's something there for them, at least we try to going to Costco, buying boxes of reams of paper. That's always fun. Man, there's one thing we read in Luke chapter 12, especially when we read on, is that we can trust God. We can trust him to be there for us. He wants us to be good stewards. He wants us to do wise things with the things that he has entrusted to us. But sometimes we're just missing out on this incredible joy that we can experience when we realize like this isn't mine. This is his. And I can just use it. A lifestyle of generosity. It'll change my life. It'll change all the lives around me. 
Jesus did not come so that we could get more stuff. Jesus came so that we could get him. And Jesus is generous. And when we get Jesus, his generosity begins to flow through us. And his contagious generosity begins to become our contagious generosity. The rich fool was not a fool because he was rich. He was a fool because he did not connect his riches with God's riches. He was a fool because he did not connect his wealth with God's wealth. How different the story would have been if when he said, what shall I do with this? At any point in the story, man, there's a village down the road and they don't have very much. I'm going to throw a party and it's going to be awesome and I'm just going to bless lots of people. I know a family who's just really struggling right now and, and without them even knowing it, I can just change their life for the better. Fill in the blank. We know tons of stories. I don't know about you, but some of the happiest people I know are people who live lifestyles of generosity. And if you don't believe me, just watch more Christmas movies. <laughs> it's literally right there, the gospel. It's crazy, at least most of the time, depending on the movie. So look, reality check, some of us will leave this room and you'll get in a car and sit next to someone or perhaps you'll head home and, and sit around a table with someone. Chances are you may not be on the same page. And chances are, because you're human, there will be conflict, disagreement. Kind of like, oh no, it, you know this, no that, no this. Don't not have this conversation in your life with your loved ones because you're afraid of this conflict. Don't not have, don't, don't uh, avoid taking this next step in living a life of generosity because you don't want to upset someone that you love. There are people here at the church, there are people here in our city, godly Christian, Christian counselors who would love to come alongside you and help you resolve any conflict that may come because one of the most three divisive subjects in the relationships that are the most intimate with us, whether it's uh, parents or family or uh, spouses or children is money. And don't make the mistake of missing out on the incredible joy that can come in generosity because you're afraid of having the conversation. Have the conversation. Do it wisely. Do it wisely, but have, have the conversation. Imagine the joy you could experience. Just think about my kids, and I'm like, that's, that's what we should be like as God's kids. And by the way, this is like a freebie because I'm looking at the time, and I have a couple minutes, so here you go. Yesterday, I'm uh, blowing, blowing the, the lawn, the leaves. I got a Husqvarna leaf blower, right? Got on Craigslist, like it's my favorite toy. I use it all year round. I blow the snow off the driveway. I use it all year round. I don't know, it's ridiculous, but I love the thing. And Cassie goes, oh, you should blow the neighbor's yard. And I'm like, what? And so I do that. I go over and, you know, she's a single lady and she's out there raking the leaves and I just start blowing her yard like, man, this is going to add like an hour and a half to my whole project. And, and it's hitting me like, wait, Mark, what are you literally teaching about this weekend? <laughs> Greed is a silent virus that knows no limits. Let's live lives of contagious generosity that are just echoes of Christ's generosity towards us. Let's pray together. God, we want to thank you.
for your love. We want to thank you for your grace. We want to thank you for your abundance. And so especially as we move into this season, help us to just imitate you in living a life of generosity. And thank you for setting the pace, showing us how it's done, and giving us grace along the way. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.